1: And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed executive editor, John Dixon, back from seeing every crevice that this beautiful country (laughs) has to offer. How was your time away from the football news cycle that never seems to stop here?
2: Oh, it was fantastic. We had a couple of uh, misadventures to begin the trip, but we had a really terrific uh, time traveling through Texas and New Mexico on the way to the to Arizona and uh, all the sites there at the Grand Canyon and Salt River Canyon and petrified forest i i could go on and on we just really
1: had a terrific time uh, petrified forest seems a little harry potter-esque i don't i, mean, I don't know a lot about <laughs> the real life petrified forest but for for what it's worth john is, is being humbled here i called john i don't think he'll, he'll care if i share this i called john on monday to reset get him back in the loop and uh listening to our conversation seemingly was his uh, beautiful wife terry just letting me know <laughs> wanted me to know over john's voice that. He saved three lives on this trip (laughs) by driving over what treacherous ice, John. It sounded like,
2: yeah. The Google had taken us off of the highway because of a traffic slowdown that was that existed, it was right in front of us. We could see it, yeah. And it had suggested that we take the outer road for. 10 or 11 miles i think it was Mm -hmm. and um you know my whole life i've seen signs that say bridge ices first or bridge maybe icy or whatever never once have i seen one of those signs and then actually encountered an icy bridge well it happened to me (laughs) (laughs) on this trip because they're on the outer road where there wasn't a lot of traffic running over it and temperatures were in the mid 20s um at at that point in new mexico this was in uh eastern new mexico this uh bridge this short bridge on the outer road was icy and the trailer that we were pulling started fishtailing mm. uh it was kind of a scary moment I, I i don't i don't think anybody was in danger of being killed but
0: um you know if <laughs> it was
1: to-
2: we could have yeah. we could have flipped the trailer over certainly, and uh, yeah. that pretty much would have ruined our vacation. I think. Well, there, so.
0: there you have
1: it—the first uh, editor show lesson from today. When you could take <laughs> the road less traveled, go ahead and take the road more traveled. I think that is that's the way. <laughs> well, to in different
2: go. weather conditions, it would have been fine. You yeah. know, it just it was just a weird situation. Um, you know, ten degrees uh, warmer, it would have been fine. It was just because there was no, you know, that doesn't happen on the highway because there's cars driving over it all the time and it heats up the pavement and, and, you know, it does not ice up. So.
1: Well, John, good to have you back after your absence. I hope that you are refreshed and ready to go. We have to catch up on your marinated takeaways from the season and Super Bowl, the way that everything kind of played out with the parade situation. And then you going on vacation, we haven't had a chance to do that. I've already shared mine. So this is going to be, John focused marinated <laughs> takeaways as we close out the 2023-2024 NFL season. A lot of news to get through today as well, and we will be doing that in just a second. A show update: so John is back today. Uh, the The dynamic duo of myself and and he will be through this show, and then I'll take my turn. I'm not going any crevices. I like to stay uh, above the crevices, but I'm going to take a <laughs> break before the free agency frenzy begins. Uh, so it'll be Steve and John next Wednesday. Wednesday is our off season editor ah, show day. So, okay. so it will be John and Steve next week to fill in the gaps there. And then we'll be back for the off season for the most part. I mean, I'm sure we'll miss the show here and there, but we'll be back every Wednesday uh, as we go through free agency and the NFL draft and all the emergency podcasts that happen in between the schedule releases at some point in there for, you know, what will be the off season push as the chiefs try to, come up with the first threepeat in NFL history. So it should be an exciting offseason. I know they have a lot of improvements to make and they're starting to happen this week, the improvements, the changes. Uh, and so we'll start to discuss some of those things that have come through as we go. But first, if you leave us a rating and a review on Apple iTunes, we'll read it right here on the show. Uh, this came in on Monday, uh, John. And I'll read it to you. We are now fully in the off-season. Rocky Magagna discussed eating the camel hump in Morocco on beach season. <laughs> Other than the ice cream cake, what are you and John's worst eating experiences? John, do you have one that comes to mind? Oh,
2: think Worst eating experience. With? Wow. Um, I will say that while we were in Arizona, we were in Sedona, and I, I had uh, some... They call it prickly pear. Um, it's it's like a the 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 meat of a plant that they oh. turn into honey and drinks. I had a a margarita made with this stuff.
1: You made you had a meaty margarita. Yeah, that's kind. Of, mm.
2: <laughs> it was kind of that, scary. That sounds gross, but, but it was actually good. Oh. Uh, I was kind of surprised with myself that I that I uh, actually tried it. But they brought around a, a little sample shot glass full, and yeah. I tried it and thought, well, that's pretty good. And I actually had that at two different restaurants while we were uh, in Arizona. Okay. Uh, So that was actually a positive experience. Let me see the worst, the worst experience. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not very adventurous. Mm. So (laughs) my, my, my experiences with bad tasting. Yeah. Just give, give, just give John
1: an egg sandwich and a, uh, <laughs> yeah. Pepsi, you'll be good to go <laughs>
2: Exactly
1: I think the one that I remember, I was a young kid And I had an aunt, my mother's sister, and Irene God rest her soul But she was uh, probably as as annoying as my mom But like a little bit more nasally Like she had like a nasally voice Anyway, I was a, a kid I was staying over my aunts for some reason And of course I wanted cereal that they hadn't touched in like weeks and weeks and months And I was just like, I don't <laughs> care I want these cornflakes <laughs> or whatever it was I think it was Frosted Flakes, cornflakes. And pouring the milk, and all of a sudden I, I think I, I see ants in it. And I, you know, alert my cousin and my my aunt, and I think in the most nasally way, she goes, Oh, shut up. No, there aren't ants in there. Eat and my cousin grabs the bowl. Lo and behold, he goes, I think there are ants in here. And uh of course, you know, as a kid, I just spit out all the milk that I possibly could and felt like I was gonna die. Uh so I don't know how that struck me, but that was probably my worst. Ever eating? Experience. That's uh,
2: that's pretty bad. <laughs> I think it ranks right up there, Pete. Very good.
1: Yeah. Very. Thank good. you. Yeah. I, pre- I appreciate you guys listening to that. All right. We're seven and a half minutes in. Let's actually talk about some <laughs> Chiefs football. I think the biggest story we have right now, John, and it probably wasn't an expected one, right? uh The the Chiefs releasing Marquez Valdez Scantling. You know, I I think that you know when you have three hundred yards of production and you're making the salary that you are or due to make it doesn't matter what you did in the postseason to redeem yourself. Well, I think, you know, you know, fans will look a little bit more fondly back on the brief tenure here of Marquez Valdez Gatling that ended in two seasons and two Super Bowls. Uh, You had to move on uh, at this number. The chiefs ended up saving $12 million of salary cap. And for that, that amount of production, it doesn't matter how much the salary cap was raised. You got to make that move.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that, I was starting to feel a little bit like uh, it was sort of like the situation with uh, Sammy Watkins, but Watkins, despite not having very much production and and missing a lot of games, had more production than Valdez Scantling has had uh, during the regular season this year. Otherwise, it was it was a very similar situation: a guy getting a lot of money that who had most had most of his significant production in the postseason. Right. But there just wasn't enough in the regular season to make it worth having him on the team with that kind of a salary. You know, if he'd had another few hundred yards during the regular season, the Chiefs might have decided to keep him on. But they have too many other things they have to do, including finding someone who get more than 300 yards in uh, as a wide receiver. Um, and there just really wasn't any other way to do
1: it. And he got his opportunities, too. You saw the Chiefs playing him a lot early in the season and really could never gain that trust and consistent rapport with Patrick Mahomes. And for what it's worth, uh, you know, had a tough year, kept a good head on his shoulders. It seemed like it it didn't lead to any problems in the locker room. In fact, if you really listen to the words of Rasheed Rice, who ended up being the most important receiver for Kansas City in 2023, uh, if it weren't for some of Valdez Scantling's guidance, I don't know if Rice comes along as fast as he did. And kudos for the Chiefs to continue believing in MBS. And he came up big for them in the postseason. I was lucky enough to be in Baltimore. That was a really tough catch to seal the game. I mean, that was a one-score game. You don't really know how that goes. I know that the defense had stifled the the Ravens, and the key play was the the Sneed would be touchdown for Flowers and stuff. But it was a small margin, and that was a big catch. And of course, the the touchdown in the Super Bowl. And there was another story that in overtime, it was his idea to call a certain play to get the Chiefs a, a first down, and so ended up being maybe more important off the field than on the field. And as important you can be off the field, twelve million dollars is too much for not having the production. So yeah, this is the very right. first step, and I. I think he saw it coming. I think the writing was on the wall here. I don't think it was too much of a surprise. I know there had been some theories and some thoughts about him in Frank Clark fashion, maybe taking a pay cut to stay in Kansas City. I don't know. In covering MVS for two years, I, I was a little bit hesitant on that. I, I think he's going to try to make as much money as he possibly can. If, and if you don't want to pay the number that he agreed to, he's going to find a better situation for himself uh, elsewhere. And let me remind everybody here, uh, as I usually need to do, John, it doesn't matter if the Chiefs say something like, oh, you never know. Maybe he could be back. The Chiefs have a one way exit door. And, I, you know, I don't see MVS making his way back to Kansas City. I think, you know, people will be quick to be like, well, what about McCall Hardman? A little bit of a different situation to me. You know, I think uh, Hardman uh, played a, a very specific role for Kansas City and the Kansas City uh, Realize it can make the most out of him I think Marquez Valdez-Siantling is going to be useful To somebody else where Not going to be making $12 million But I just don't see him in any capacity Making his way back to Kansas City
2: Well, you might be right about that There have been circumstances where players have gone uh, Gone out there to uh, find another job That paid them more money And have ended up taking less money To come back to Kansas City It has happened a couple of times, but I, I think I would tend to agree with you that in this particular situation, the Chiefs would probably rather want to move on, make a clean break. But, um, you know,
1: they'll say you never know, and you do never know. Right. I, another one I thought of as you were talking was Derek Nottie. I think Derek Nottie tried to explore free agency. and then, mm-hmm. but Yeah. No, I just tend to think MVS, even despite last year, is going to be able to make a number the Chiefs are not going to want to go to which is part of the right. reason why you saw the release all right uh so MVS moves on he went from aaron J- Rodgers to patrick mahomes to question mark we'll see what quarterback he picks next <laughs> but usually it's one of the top five to ten <laughs> quarterbacks uh in the nfl next piece of news that we have here a little bit of, of mixed stories and mixed sourcing I've, you know i've been and talking to folks but uh, jordan schultz has reported that the chiefs replacing the franchise tag on cornerback legeri sneed Earlier in the week, Brett Veach had alluded to the fact that it would be likely uh, the Chiefs would use the tag to manage their salary cap as they go here. So uh, whether it is official that Sneed has the tag, whether it, it is 85 90%, you see another report, it, it seems like this is the trend regardless. So we're going to have a conversation here, assuming, John, that the Chiefs mm-hmm, have now placed yeah. the franchise tag on cornerback Legarius Sneed, and that translates to... million for a 2024 salary, which isn't a bad deal when you consider that Legereus Sneed was what? He was drafted in the fourth round, and so he'll make more money this year than he's made throughout his NFL career. Uh, But again, I think it's important to look at this in the way that the Chiefs have been framing it. And that is the idea that this franchise tag is really in the bare bones of it, buying the Chiefs time. It doesn't seem like they want to pay $19.8 million and have that against their cap. And it also sounds like, I, I have felt, John, that they want to get this done as soon as possible when they figure out what they would like to do with it. The two scenarios seem to be they come to a long-term agreement on a number that Sneed likes, uh, and it gives them less money than the $19.8 million what would be the first mm-hmm. year. But I would assume it'd be like a three- or four-year contract knowing Brett Veach and, and and Sneed's age. Uh, Where that number is lowered or what they might do. And you saw them do this with D Ford is tag. Jerry Sneed. So they maintain his rights. And then maybe there's a premium draft pick, some kind of draft compensation that another team sends. Uh, They get the rights to Sneed negotiate a new contract. And probably the chiefs were willing to go. And the chiefs try to continue. (laughs) Nailing these darts at the defensive back position, because if you've seen them (laughs) in these past couple of years, Trent McDuffie, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Nazi Johnson, Nick Jones. I mean, it it's a deep room, uh, and and they're going to be facing another question and another salary situation with Trent McDuffie in a few years here, and who knows what direction they want to go in. So I don't know. That's my spiel on Legereus Sneed. If I'm guessing here, I think the most likely scenario is a tag and trade, but it, as you were alluding to in our, our last topic, John, I, I guess you really do never know about these things.
2: Well, yeah, and it depends on how the negotiations are going between them. Um, we had a report today that uh, the Chiefs intend to speak to both Sneed and Jones's representatives today at the Combine mm-hmm. and have what amount to be their initial conversations uh, for the coming season. And, you know, this is going to be a thing that's done all together. You know, they're talking to Jones, they're talking to Sneed, and these two things are going to kind of mesh together in the minds of both the fans and the chiefs, you know, if if Jones wants a lot more money than the chiefs are willing to pay, maybe they say, well, we can't afford to give Snead a big contract Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So, um, you know, this is, this has been a topic of conversation for a few weeks now, which of these players is more important to the chiefs defense and both of them play an outsized role. And uh, it's entirely possible the Chiefs won't be able to get both of them uh, on board at a set, at a number that will work for them. But maybe there's a way they can get both of them. And this is a, a means to try and maneuver the, the team through this particular set of rapids. And maybe they'll get through without overturning the canoe.
1: I know next on our list here, John, uh, after we get done with podcasting and the 17 other things we do is putting... <laughs> up jared saps rundown of the salary cap and the updates and so we know that while you're away in the grand canyon the nfl ballooned the salary cap uh to a, a you know greater amount than maybe was expected and that you know that's a good good news for the chief's flexibility but there are also other factors that go into the salary cap so Generally speaking here, you know, and and we will put up Jared's update, which he did a really nice job with, but generally speaking here, when you consider Chris Jones and his situation, when we consider LeJerry Steen and his situation, and where the Chiefs' salary cap stands, wide net, what do you make of it?
2: Well, there's a lot less money than we thought the Chiefs were going to have. I mean, even with this big increase, which amounted to like $30 million in the salary cap compared to 2022, uh, excuse me to 2023 i'm still mm-hmm. changing over from one year to the next
1: year I know. Makes, um you know, February, but we are gonna be marched in yeah I got for the leap year because i'd like to figure this out by march and yeah the leap year buys me another day to figure that year's that's, thing out.
2: that's right. right um so you know they add 30 million dollars and that sounds fantastic but a couple well like less than a week later mm. uh we learned that um you know four of the chiefs 2021 draft picks are suddenly earning more money than uh than they did before because of the proven performance escalators that are part of the uh the league's contract with the nflpa and that took in one fell swoop 11 million dollars
0: yeah. uh away That's from the chiefs dunk.
2: cap space and then today um you know we had these moves releasing Valdez Scantling and putting uh, Snead on the franchise tag. A couple of days ago, with the new uh, cap number, we had $28.3 million going to the Chiefs uh, salary cap. Now there's 9.5. Mm. Um, you know, that's a pretty big, big difference in how much money's available. Of course, the Chiefs will have more moves to make. Um, they always have the option of uh, freeing up some space from the home's contract, so on and so forth. But uh, it's what seemed like a lot of money doesn't seem like a whole lot of money right now.
1: Yeah. And, and it's a shame because I think the other day when we first get the, the salary cap news from the NFL, it, it's like, well, maybe the door is open for them to mm-hmm. maintain both yeah. Jones and Sneed, but, you know, you you factor in those escalators now, and it and it does does seem like they're still gonna need to make a choice. And I, I think what is interesting here is that I, I think I coming into the off season, John, I I sort of assumed that they would have one or the other, but there's a third door here where they trade Sneed, get back draft capital, and then don't get Jones back, <laughs> and it's like, what is this? What is this defense gonna look like? Because if you end up trading Sneed and you have that room, but you you know, you do get the draft capital, you're still up against the thirty-one other teams that and, and some of them might have more more money because you know they don't have some of those escalators where they can kind of hand Chris Jones a, a blank check. So what do you think, you know, as it stands here, and you know, as you look at this this salary cap situation from a bird's eye view, what do you think the chances are of the Chiefs not having either of these guys for the 2024 campaign. Well,
2: I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, this is exactly why uh, Steve Spagnuolo was brought to tears uh, Mm. on the field uh, after the Super Bowl when he said, you know, this defense is never going to look the same. I mean, the defense, a team, a unit on an NFL team never looks the same uh, the following season. But Spagnuolo was talking about something else. That you know there are players here on this team that are significant to it, you know, on my unit that might not be back uh, for the following season, and it's not unreasonable to think that he was thinking about Jones and he was thinking about Snead and the possibility that either or both of them will not be back in 2024. Um, you know, that's distinctly possible. I've been beating this horse for a long time. That ever since. Mahomes signed his huge contract that the Chiefs are going to have to move more and more and more towards filling their needs through the draft. That, you know, we're going to have to get used to the idea that they can't spend big money on free agents, either by re-signing their own free agents or getting them from other teams. So at some point, I do expect that we'll mostly be talking about bringing players in through the draft, and I think we have seen that. In the last couple of seasons where general manager Brett Veach has made, uh, you know, some big moves in the draft and done very well with the picks that he's that he's had. And um, that may be the direction that we're headed here. Um, But at the on the other hand, I think the Chiefs really do want to figure out a way to keep Snead and they really do want to figure out a way to keep Jones. Whether they can is the question of the hour.
1: Yeah, I, I I think as this news coming is coming out about Sneed, like it, it does always make you want to go back and maybe adjust your prediction. Because I for a while I've I've kind of thought that the Chiefs wanted to keep Sneed. And, you know, those are the things I, I've heard. But if you really look at the tangible examples of this recent Chiefs era, and it's limited because I mean, as great as it's been and as long as it's felt, it's still only five or six years here. But they, they let various Ward walk. And
2: mm-hmm, yeah.
1: He was a pretty good player for them at the time. Uh, I'm not sure if their exact evaluation of the player he's become with San Francisco was maybe what they had at the time. I mean, that's something that we will never know maybe until this whole thing is, is all said and done. But at the same time, it, it's a pretty close, I think, comp for what Snead brings to the table. And there should be no lack of confidence in what they can do in drafting the defensive back position. They feel pretty good about their defensive backs coach and Dave Merritt. And Dave Merritt, I mean, you know, we get him once in a while. I've talked about that in, on this podcast, and he's he's a brilliant coach. You can see why his mm-hmm. players would yeah. love him and they would play hard for him and what he's done as far as the development. I mean, I think when his personal life affords him the ability to, he's going to make a, a good defensive coordinator for somebody. Remember, Steve Spagnolo kind of came from that, like, defensive back's track i mean that's that's what he really likes as a secondary anyway long story short i i just feel it's it's likely that sneed has moved and the chiefs rely on you know what they've done well over these past years and i don't know about chris jones i think i think a lot of it with the jones situation is out of the chief's control like is the jones representation you know that we have faces to um (laughs) are they going to play ball with kansas city i like and history has told me that they're not and yeah. so, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, and, and the reason why I'm thinking out loud here is so you can see my figuring without tweeting or xing at PG Sween and getting mad at me. I, like, I don't, I don't know about the Chiefs <laughs> keeping either of these guys, you know, at this stage yeah. and that, that's the unfortunate reality. And that is one of the penalties of having success in the NFL. It's designed so that the same teams can't repeat, meaning. Now, as they do well, it's harder to keep the players and it's harder to replace them because you're drafting last and there's a cap to how much money you can spend. So it ain't like MLB where you could just back up the truck and say, we're keeping Snead and Jones forever. These are friends. You can't win that way. So we will see how it goes. Uh, And as major news happens, uh, I know Steve is ready behind the, the digital glass here to drop some emergency podcasts as we need them. And even though I'm off next week, if there's a big enough story, I'm going to have John and Steve drop out the back signal and I'll hop on here to talk about it. But uh, I'm hoping it's a relatively quiet week, uh, just considering I haven't really taken a blow since like mid-July at this stage. But anyway, here we go. The Sween
2: signal. I like that. The Sween signal. I I was
1: trying to think of a witty thing to say what that symbol would look like, but I'll get back. Maybe maybe like a version of the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center with the glasses, but like long hair and, and... Instead of his bald head, maybe that would be the symbol. All right, uh, need to get into our next topic, which is uh, there could be new contracts on the way for Andy Reid and Brett Veach. Uh, Mike Mike Florio is is, is shocked uh, about this. He can't believe it. He's got his uh, O face on. Uh, but it, it does seem like these two guys who are under contract until 2025, you never want to get into the last year of the contract. Uh, if I'm Clark and I'm trying to save money why would you want to try to sign two guys after a potential three-peat that's never been done? You know, now you're probably paying even more than you would now. Uh, and this is usually done quietly. This is very different than player contracts. And that you really rarely hear about the talks that are ongoing. And you find out after the fact that it usually comes from the organization that they reveal, okay, these guys are, are signed. But uh, again, hate to be that guy, but another, I told you so moment more so for Florio than any of you guys who, who listen to us, just like, Andy Reid has Mahomes. He's been waiting for him this whole his whole career. So should his health be fine, I think you know you're going to see him want to continue coaching and want to chase uh, Belichick in a way. And uh, before I let you talk, John, it, it was listed that Andy Reid was is, is eighth, they believe, in head coach salaries. That'll be closer to one. And as it had turned out. Uh, Brett Veach, who relatively unproven at the time of signing. I know they just won a Super Bowl, but a lot of that was John Dorsey's work. But he was one of the lower paid GMs and now will be up to be one of the, I'd imagine, top five, if not top one, top two, top three, uh, highest paid GMs whenever this comes down.
2: Yeah, uh, it's kind of unfortunate. We get so accustomed to knowing how much players make or believe we know how much players like it. It's always kind of shrouded in some secrecy. But we have some kind of an idea, but we know nothing about how much coaches make. There's no salary cap. There's no um, there's no reason for teams to uh, give out what they pay coaches. And it'd be an interesting thing to talk about, just as it is to talk about how much players make and what teams have to do to get under the cap. But this is a place where teams can do just like Major League Baseball, anything they want with regard to team with regard to their coaches. And, um, uh, I think this is a place where the chiefs are going to spend some real money to keep these guys together, keep the team going. Uh, they just re-signed Spagnolo to a new deal. Uh, I think, uh, Reed and Veach are both going to get, uh, deals that last three years, just like Spagnolo did. And we'll be talking about this again in three years from now.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know how Cl- Clark doesn't make them the highest head coach in GM. I just, uh, it's been so, you know, it's been long enough now for five years, three titles, first back to back in 20 years. I don't know. The you know, negotiations are hard because you have to be brutally honest sometimes about like what they're bringing to the table. And I, it's hard to wrap your head around the argument against them being that. And I, I think more so even than the titles. And, and I say it all the time once you get to the final four in the NFL, I really truly believe anything can happen. And
2: sure, uh, yeah. just
1: being able to reach that point now six years in a row it, it it's incredible i mean it really is incredible i uh there's no uh talking about it that would would be able to oversell it I, you know that's that's kind of how i feel about the job they've done so um it'll be interesting to see how long the years are that's what we will know i don't think we will know the exact figures but uh maybe there's a a way we will if if they are the highest paid uh but um fear not i don't think uh despite the pro football talk rumors that Andy Reid is going anywhere. And it seems like Brett Beach is going to be much more satisfied with his salary in uh, a couple weeks to come. John, a, a quick one before you, before we get into something more serious, uh,
0: Taylor Swift <laughs> made
1: pop tarts for the offensive line. during the,
0: Oh know,
1: man. What a as story. it turns out, this came from pro football talk as well. And believe it or not, <laughs> this story has more truth to it than the Andy Reid retirement story. <laughs> it's very clear uh, that uh, that the biggest pop star in the world made pop tarts for uh, the O line. What did what do you make of this?
2: Well, I, I love this story. I know a lot of people are are put off by Taylor Swift, but I'm not. I yeah. I love the attention that she's bringing to the team. Um, I think it's it's disingenuous to complain that uh, the coasts don't play pay attention to flyover country. Sure, And then get mad when suddenly people are paying attention to us because Taylor Swift is, is in the, the box at the stadium. I mean, this is what we have been saying for years that we want is for people to take the Chiefs seriously. And all this is doing is making it more possible for people to do that. And, you know, if it's fun for the team, I think that adds to the team's ability to win. So um, I think this is this is great. I'm not a fan of Taylor Swift's music that's not part of the equation for me yeah i'm too old to be a fan of modern popular <laughs> music so you know just give I mean, me just give me my billy joel and i'll be happy you know but but uh but i love that she's bringing attention onto the team i, I just love that
1: first of all love that you said billy joel as, <laughs> as i don't know if you knew this or not but i love billy joel
2: oh, second really? of
1: all yeah cool. yeah i'm from long island of course yeah. oh, well, you know we're next door neighbors yeah Uh, Miami
2: 2017, yeah. Second
1: of all, I like that despite being, what, like a virtual billionaire. Taylor Swift is still baking. This isn't the first baking story. So she's baking (laughs) the offensive line Pop-Tarts, and uh, apparently she made cinnamon buns or rolls, one of the first. Travis Kelsey. It just goes to show, like, people still like what they like no matter how much success that they have. I'll tell you, John, like, I enjoy, this is a weird thing, but, like, I enjoy a yingling. I don't care if I'm the most popular NFL reporter on the planet. I'm on ESPN or NFL network one day. Like I'm still going to like a shitty old yingling once in a while. And I, I imagine <laughs> making sure that you stick with your, your roots is a, is a, is an important thing and good for her for continuing to bake. And it seems like everything is going well, you know, it, as, as much as people thought it might be a distraction, you'll never be able to claim that. Cause they they went and won the damn Super Bowl, And I, I'd, I'd contest that, Travis Kelsey played his, played his best ball in the postseason. season. So, uh,
2: and apparently gave an amazing speech at halftime of the game. Yeah. He uh, knocked from, over
1: the the yeah. bike or something in the locker and room
2: before the game and at halftime. Yeah. I, and so you got to think that Travis, that uh, Taylor has a, has a role in that as well. I have to ask you now, what's your, what, what are your top Billy Joel songs? So I, I'd love to know, uh, what you think are his best
1: songs. Well, so as it as it turned out, this was a a tough situation, but I mean it was a necessary one. I had to give up. I had to give up "Remix to Ignition" in my uh, from by R. Kelly in as my karaoke song. So I, t- I had to find a <laughs> a replacement for it. And so it's been "Piano Man." I I love "Piano uh-huh. Man." Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, uh, "New York State of Mind." Yeah, I like great "Uptown one. Girl." Uh, we didn't start the fire. I mean, I, I'm naming the hits, but y- it, yeah. Piano man uh, tends to be my karaoke song. So if we were to go and do Arrowhead pride staff karaoke, which we have not tackled yet, we've done a few get togethers <laughs> and happy hours, but uh, that would be the, the first song up that I would go with.
2: Well, right. I love, I love angry young man. And oh, okay, uh, that's one of my favorites. I love the Ballad ability kid. I think that's yeah. an amazing piece of music. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of uh, well, about a dozen Billy Joel songs, but those are the two that come to mind right off the top of my top of my head here. Yeah, this is cool. Well, this will be something we'll have to talk about. and, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll just maybe store in podcast maybe content
1: on this f- yeah, the second week to June to like mid mid of July, we have nothing to talk about. So maybe <laughs> we can have a Billy Joel off or something all right. Uh, final two news stories and these kind of. <sighs> Oddly enough, fit together. Not as fun as Taylor Swift and Pop-Tarts, but the NFLPA report cards came out today. And once again, just not good notes on Kansas City. You know, another no another no way to say it. We thought they were bad last year. This was the complaints about head trainer Rick Burkholder in the locker room and the facilities and, and so on and so forth. The Chiefs were 29th last year. They actually managed to be worse somehow this year. Uh, came in at 31st. Doesn't seem like a, a ton of improvements were made, John. And these NFLPA report cards, they drop during the combine week. So they can have this press conference uh, at the scouting combine. These came out as the Chiefs were announcing an $800 million renovation to Arrowhead that fans and taxpayers will be responsible. It sounds like for paying somewhere in the ballpark of $500 million for. And so this all kind of uh, uh, broke uh, at the same time the timing of it was tough I think for uh you know the chiefs and and what they wanted but here's the general gist of the NFLpa report cards bad marks in uh, seemingly everything except for the head coach which was uh, an a plus so they're doing right by the head coach but if you look at all the other categories family treatment d plus food service c minus nutritionist F locker room F Training room D, training staff F, weight room C plus, strength coach C plus, team travel D. I mentioned the A plus and the head coach and uh, the owner category got the worst grade. And that was, it seemed again, we're just taking the report for what it was saying, but it seemed like uh, Clark might have promised a renovation to and to be very clear here, the training facility locker room Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, it, you know, you go in there and and for what it's worth, we interview players in there all the time. And it I'll be honest, it's not it's 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 not so much better than a college. And I bet you there are some D1 programs that actually have like nicer day to day facilities. Uh, and mm-hmm. it seems like there might have been a promise from 22 to 23 in the offseason to get this redone. And the only noticeable change that, that even we as reporters mentioned to each other when we were first walking in there was they finally put in seats with backs on them as opposed to stools, which actually had been in last year's report. And I think, in a way, that makes this one a little bit uncomfortable because they read enough to realize, oh, the players were upset about this uh, stool chair thing. They addressed that because it was specifically mentioned. But it doesn't seem like any other aspect from the report cards um, were improved upon. Now, I think, to be fair, the Chiefs' performance on the field was just as good last year and number 2 you know we don't really know the nuances of how this thing is mm-hmm. made we don't know how many chiefs were interviewed it's a little bit um you know i i think hidden in, in in the words of the NFLPA they kind of just put this thing out and say accept this and they mentioned they they interviewed more than 1700 players but you know we don't know how many still i think regardless of all that you would have liked to have seen more improvements uh, on the report card especially as the chiefs are saying all these things about the new stadium and the the vote that's hap- happening uh this april and you know wanting uh to be able to use some of the taxpayers money to make the experience of arrowhead better seems like a lot of the renovations john are for higher paying fans i don't think that's like too crazy of a take to make and so i just think all of it married together made for an an interesting hour or two on on Wednesday.
2: Well, you can, you can make the argument that the timing was terrible for the chiefs that it, uh, (laughs) that it uh, made them look bad at a moment. They're trying to, to drum up this renovation thing, but it's also possible that the chiefs chose this moment to release that information to counteract the bad PR of uh of what they I mean I'm, I'm going to assume they knew yeah uh ahead of time before we did anyway that they were going to get this bad report from the NFLPA and maybe the whole point of putting this thing out there was to help mask that that's entirely speculation on my part I feel right. it's important <laughs> to to, 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 yeah. mo- to note that that I'm just I'm just jamming here um but you know that's always a possibility that Uh, That they look at it that way That well this is the time to put that out there Or maybe it was just a coincidence You know it's just that coincidences Do happen occasionally and this could Be one of those Um, It's kind of unfortunate But I I felt I definitely felt last year That the NFLPA Hadn't been once we knew a little Bit more about the process that they Used to get the information I felt like the NFLPA hadn't been very scientific About it right and, um, you know, I still kind of get that vibe from the deal, which might be unfair, but, you know, we still really don't know that much about how it all fits together. I remember Andy right. Reed was pretty clear about, well, you know, they don't really necessarily know what they're talking about when he was asked about it, uh, after those grades came out last year. And I, I, I myself felt a little more comfortable about what the chiefs are doing after Reed spoke, but. You know, if something like this is out there and people are talking about it and there doesn't seem to be much change about it a yeah. year later, that's not a good look at all, at
1: all. Yeah, you know? I and like I don't want to this is a very interesting report and, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics and weeds. And I don't I don't want to be like reported, but I think it is something that i'll share like some of these things that are in here and i'm not going to name specifics or whatever are things that i've kind of heard in passing there are certain things with like reports where you know you're on the record off the record and other times you're just kind of like chatting with people and you you know this and whatever job that you right. do you go out your buddies you talk shop and and some of the things that you know i i've seen now on paper have kind of matched some like rumblings i've heard before and so yeah. i hope there are aspects of this that the Chiefs take seriously. Uh, I I know that the chairs were very clearly, um, to me, a reflection of last year's report. So we'll see what changes are made from, you know, what would be the 2023 season to the 2024 season. All right. We have gone through the Chiefs news. I'm sure there'll be more of it as we go. We're weeks away from free agency, and that'll lead us into the NFL draft. So we are just beginning, as they say. But when we come back, it's been two or three weeks. These are the most marinated takeaways of all time from John Dixon on the Super Bowl in the NFL season. Stay with us right here on the Arrowhead Pride
0: Editors Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from SmartWater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? SmartWater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, SmartWater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Well, I'm going to let this marinate.
1: You know, let that one marinate and then we can circle back.
0: Adapt. React.
1: Readapt. It
2: takes time takes
1: years. (laughs) That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. Because of circumstances stemming from the end of the 2023-24 NFL season, we didn't have John for a couple weeks here. And I know, I know it from the comments, some of your comments, you have been wondering, what are these Marinette takeaways from executive (laughs) editor, John Dickson? Well, finally... Finally, we will learn them here today. And John, as you reflect on the 2023 season, what comes to mind first now that you've been able to take a step back and and look at the season for what it was? Well, I'll pull
2: back the curtain a little bit. Uh, It so happened that I wrote about some of this in this week's edition of the newsletter, uh, which hit our uh, readers news uh, inboxes this morning. Um, So I'm giving you a little uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit on what the content of the newsletter today was about. Um, I think to me, this was all about the 2020 season and what went wrong in the 2020 season. I think the Chiefs learned a lot of lessons uh, coming out of the 2019 championship. Um, They thought they could just keep everybody and hashtag run it back. Yeah, you can't do that. You've got to keep you've got to keep building your team at all times. Especially if you're a championship team because the following year you're going to be a you're going to have a target on your back. You know, every other team is going to be working to improve to beat you. So you'd better be working to improve to be even better so that they can't beat you. I think the Chiefs didn't really understand that once they had finally won a championship. Once Andy Reid had finally won a championship, I don't think he really appreciated, um, you know, that part of uh, of the formula that he had to keep keep moving. Um, Another thing that I thought was a lesson from 2020 is that uh, the team had fun. Yeah. These last two seasons. And I think that was something that was sorely missing in the 2020 season. You know, uh, once when you when you've never won a Super Bowl, you've got nothing to lose.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: can go there and, and be laughing and having a good time and and be loose. And, you know, I've read a lot of over, you know, a very long time covering football. I've read a lot of coaches and players talking about um what made them successful in the super bowl and quite a lot of them say that it's because they went into the game loose
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they weren't you know all cinched up about everything and that allowed them to play better when the when the big game came and i think that the chiefs weren't really there uh in 2020 i think they were all cinched up and and yeah. and very well, worried about everything and it and it showed in the game
1: you know i I I think in in that weekend as well. I mean, that was the same weekend that there was all some of that that stuff with Britt Reid, and that was leading into sure. the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think that helped the circumstances. And they, you know, I just think the offensive line was so depleted that it became very obvious early that that was not going to be a game that the Chiefs were going to have the upper hand in. And it wasn't for lack of trying, but Patrick Mahomes, he went crazy. It it just seemed like the rest of the team was lifeless stemming from maybe that off the field situation. And I think a little bit of the obvious factor that, you know, Mahomes just wasn't going to have the time. I mean, they just didn't have the players to give him the time that he needed to win the game. And so, you know, I think you're right though. Uh, I, I noticed that in Baltimore when the, you know, it, the chiefs were up against it and don't let people fool you. Now everyone that week was like, this is Baltimore sheer. There's no way they get out of this game without winning it. Like, and, you know, when it came time for game day, a lot of the team, you know, except for some certain positions here and there, a lot of the team was the same from the year before. And so I made the point like after the game you know, and and, and just, just the feel of being there, like this was a lot of the Chiefs' second most important game that they've ever played, right? A road AFC title game because they had just played in the Super Bowl in the past year. Right. And I think you could tell that even like as far as Lamar Jack- like Jackson goes and the Ravens. This was the most important game, the one they had to win. And you could tell that there was like a palpable pressure. So I think as the Chiefs have won more and more, there's a little bit less of that pressure on the actual game day that is the Super Bowl. And like, Mm -hmm. same thing with the 49ers. I know that they had some repeat players from what five years before, but a lot of the team was new. You know, this was a right and this was and just seemed a little bit big, especially, I think. Ah, uh, when it came to to Brock Purdy toward the end of the game, he was brilliant all day, and I you know I think he gave the Forty Nine ers a chance to win. But you could tell Mahomes had a little bit of a level of a comfort at the end of the game that you really didn't see from from Purdy. Uh, I think, especially when it, you know came down like, this is it. You know, you got to go win it, or you know, you're you're not going to do it. And and it just seemed like Pat was more comfortable, in that ultimately. Tip the scale in, in overtime. All right, let's, uh, let's continue uh, that, John.
2: And you actually touched on the third thing that I wanted oh, to say ahead. that they yeah. learned in 2020 was how important depth was. Yep. Um, and that was made so clear by the, by the performance of, uh, of a devastated offensive line in Super Bowl um, uh, uh, 55 when, you know, Mahomes was running for his life. But the thing that's amazing about this, and I think this is something that's important for us to to discuss, is that they made it to the Super Bowl with four reserve offensive linemen. Yeah, You know, that's, frankly, amazing. And that, you know, sure, when it got to be five offensive linemen, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had clearly prepared To play that they they said after the game oh yeah we knew this was the way we could win this game by attacking the offensive line and they did because all of a sudden it was five reserve players Mm -hmm. that were playing in unusual positions and it was just it was just too much for the chiefs to overcome and i think that 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 made more important a lesson that they already had learned that it was very important for the team to have a lot of depth because it's so hard in the NFL to remain healthy at every position through the course of a season, particularly if you're a team that's playing deep into the postseason every year and you're playing, you know, 21, 22 games in every season, you got to have guys to play when other guys go down. And I think this is the thing that Brett Veach really does very well. I know there's a lot of conversation among fans who think that Brett Veach hasn't been a a good guy. He hasn't done a good job at, at uh, bringing in players for the team Mm -hmm. that John Dorsey did it much better because John Dorsey brought in Travis Kelsey and brought in uh, Patrick Mahomes and brought in Chris Jones. And those things are all true, but what John Dorsey did not do nearly as well as Brett Veach was find players to back up those star players. And in the end of the day, I'm starting to wonder if that's even more important than finding stars. Any GM yeah. will find stars eventually, but the best GMs are the ones who can fill out the back of the roster. And I think that's what Beach has done for the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, and a little sidebar story to that, and I think it's worth touching upon because it's relevant, was the last playoff start for Nick Allegretti before this year's AFC title was the Super Bowl in Tampa. Right, right. So for five years or four years, he was living with this idea that, like, am I ever going to even get to start in another playoff game? That was miserable. And sure, he's been on all three teams and has three rings. He was one of the better backup interior guys in the league. But I think some redemption for him in that he was able to start in the AFC title game. And then... I think even with his own brain, remembering like, you know, we don't want to be down to the third string. <laughs> I'm the right. second string. We don't want to be down to the third string in right. any position <laughs> here. I know what that means. It's like, I don't care if I tore my elbow, I'm going right. you know, to I can play. I'm going to play. And it sucks for him because I think, you know, at this point with three rings in Kansas city, he probably would like to start somewhere. You know, this is me just thinking, you know, maybe he would have that opportunity if he moved on elsewhere, but, Maybe there's another year with the Chiefs built in here because he's going to have to rehab, get better, and and we'll see where he mm, ends mm. up. But just a cool story, I think, just knowing that his last start was the Tampa start and he was able to start in the title game and Super Bowl. And John's dogs love Nick <laughs> I mean, they are some of the bigger Nick Alegrity fans uh, in the NFL. And so you can hear them uh, chiming in in, in support right. of everything I'm saying right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, John. Both both Willie and Hershey loved Nickell. I agree. And it's true. As
1: you as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, you were emptying the notebook here. Anything else that you'd like to add as far as marinated takeaways?
2: No, and, and I and I'll tell you that a lot of that uh, comes from a conversation I had while I was on the trip with our our good friend Sharon, who traveled with us. Okay. Um, she was she's a Chiefs fan, and we talked about some things. And I that's a pretty. A lot of what I just said is yeah. is in that is from that conversation with Sharon. So thanks for hearing me out because helping me be ready for this show, Sharon. Yeah, Appreciate there it. There you go. Thank you, Sharon.
0: <laughs>
1: Checks in the mail. Not really. All right. Uh that wraps up the 2023 season. Finally, we can finally put it to an end now that we have revealed uh John's marinated takeaways from the Super Bowl and the season. Uh as a reminder, Steve's keeping this train movement, uh moving. We have uh, a bu- beautiful Draft season plan for you on the uh, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. That will include uh, editor shows every Wednesday as we roll through the news. Ron Kopp is leading the way when it comes to free agent analysis and draft analysis. But we'll make sure to weigh in on a weekly basis after next week. Once again, I will be taking uh, a week off, which uh, I need. uh, But John and Steve will be providing uh, an editor show uh, in lieu of my absence there. But it's been Really fun. I think, John, covering the 2023 season. And as we close the door on that, we open the door on another offseason. That'll lead us into a a chance for the Chiefs to do something that no team has ever done in NFL history. And that is to potentially win three straight Super Bowl titles in a row. So it should be fun. So thank you to Steve for running the show behind the scenes. Thank you to John Uh, for both of them. This has been another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor show. Thanks for listening. Hey there, it's Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, and I'm excited to announce a new element of the Arrowhead Pride experience for diehard Chiefs fans. It's our brand new newsletter, Arrowhead Pride Premiere. Arrowhead Pride Premiere is a newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week from me. For $50, you'll get an annual subscription packed with insider coverage from yours truly and new in-depth analysis from voices around Kansas City. It's all about what I'm seeing and hearing around the team. During the season, we'll deliver a newsletter ahead of each game to get ready for Sunday and a newsletter after each game to unpack exactly what happened, subscribe to Arrowhead Pride premiere today at arrowheadpride.com subscribe.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Smart Water. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.